Who would have ever thought this kid who grew up in one of the poorest parts of the country would be on a national stage playing at Pinehurst and, and competing for a national title or a national event? When you hear stories such as that, it makes it so worthwhile. And we love the fact that, hey, there are players who are different races, different nationalities, different cultures, backgrounds, even like you mentioned, sexual orientation and, and gender identities too. And for me, being able to make that awareness for the event, it's like, hey, here's somebody that, you know what, it's not everything. I identify obviously as a gay male, but I'm much more than that. But also being able to be myself and have have some of that awareness because I know when I was in high school, I would have loved to see anybody, whether it's somebody running a tournament I was playing in or a PGA or LPGA tour player who was out and living their life and being who they truly are. So I'd like to say in, in some way, shape or form, we're able to let these kids and these teams know that be who you are. It's okay to be yourself and swing your swing and play your game. You don't have to fit in this one box that I think historically golf has really fit in or at least given that notion for so many years. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks very much for joining me. And please subscribe to the show so you'll hear about all of our upcoming episodes and you can enter in our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Chris Noble, who is the PJ of America manager for the National High School Golf Association with Next Gen Golf. I know I mentioned quite a few different groups there, and we're going to be talking about all of them today with Chris. And Chris, this is really exciting. He had to come up for some air. I had to leave him alone for a couple of weeks. He just finished this up, which his team had just hosted 560 state champion high school golfers at Pinehurst for the National Invitational, which we're going to talk about today and all the good things he's doing to grow the game in that area with Next Gen Golf. And he's also a huge advocate for the LGBTQ community in golf. So inclusion, diversity, kindness, acceptance, themes we are just such strong supporters of here on the Mod Golf Podcast. And I personally, I, I embrace that the best I can. We're going to talk about all those good things with Chris. So hey, with that, Chris, thanks so much for joining me today and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Colin, thank you so much for the beautiful introduction, and, and thank you so much for, for having me on the show today. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you and, and all the listeners out there. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, this is also going to be, well, lots of things we're going to be talking about here, Chris, but it'll also give uh, us a chance to get an update on Next Gen Golf, because the last time I spoke about Next Gen Golf was, I think, way back in season one, I think around episode four or five, when we were just a little baby with Mod Golf Podcast, and I got introduced to Chris Hart, and we had that conversation. Of course, things have gone kaboom in so many good ways. When I first talked to Chris, Next Gen Golf was not part of uh, the PGA of America, so we're definitely going to talk about where Next Gen Golf is and where you're going. But let's start with you. Let's rewind the tape here. I want to learn because I know you're an avid golfer and very accomplished golfer. So how old were you? And tell me what the first time you ever picked up a golf club and the most magical moment you can recall the best experience you've ever had in golf in your life. Those two things. So go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in terms of when I started off in the game, uh, I was really young. I was about three and a half, four years old, somewhere right in that ballpark. And my grandparents uh, actually started me in the game. They got me a, I'll never forget it, and I still have some of the clubs, a four or five set club Titleist T-Rex set. The clubs were pretty much as tall as I was. And just, you know, going around the house and, and swinging them. And 
to be honest, I know it's cliche, but it was kind of love at first sight, just going off. And I remember some some of the best memories with my grandparents going out in the local golf course. I grew up in Michigan myself, Nine Hole Muni, and, and just going out there and playing and, and getting introduced to the game by them. So it's uh, it's been a huge part of my life, needless to say, for a long, long time. And on the second note, in terms of a, a really cool golf memory. Obviously, a lot of great memories from high school, college golf. But just a few years ago, in 2018, I had a chance to play for my club championship at the home course I, I grew up in, in Michigan playing and tried it for three, four years before that. Never won. And it's one of those things, right? We all know it's not the biggest event in the world, but we all want to be our club champion at our, at our home course, right? You got to get your name up on the yeah, plaque. Yeah, yeah. Long story short, actually came off of a trip out west with my ex-boyfriend, broke up with him, was a complete mess, mentally was just in shambles. I was six down after six holes. It was a 36-hole single-day match play for the uh, championship. Six down after six, I turned to my dad. I'm like, well, you know, I can't get much worse than this. Dug as deep as I could. And I just said, you're better than this. You know this course. You know this game. And just, just play golf. Play your game. And I overcame that deficit and actually won two and one on the 35th hole, which wow. not the probably wow. the biggest win of my career, but just to overcome some of those mental challenges and hurdles was pretty sweet to say the least. Oh, I bet. I bet. Well, you just gave an insight there that you are a resilient human being there, which we're going to talk about how you apply that resilience to your life, where you are, where you've been and where you're going. But maybe you can give us an overview for our listeners about the National High School Golf Association. Can you tell us what the organization is and why you do what you do? Absolutely. Um, so the NHSGA or the National High School Golf Association, it's all centered around high school golf. And when I came on board with this uh, a little over three and a half years ago, Chris Hart, who you mentioned, my now boss, came to me in my prior job and he's like, hey, I, I have an idea that it's all centered around high school golf and I think you'd be perfect for it. You want to give it a shot? And I said, sure, let's let's try it. And ultimately, the way it started was a home for results, for rankings, for education. A lot of listeners probably out there played high school golf, and the biggest consistency that we always found is that there is no consistency, right? Each state does their own thing. Some states play in the fall, some play in the spring, any and everything. It's so unique and so different. So making one true home and resource where you can find state regional results from Michigan, Minnesota, Florida, all, all across the country, and being able to really say, okay, how do these states stack up? And ultimately giving these players, giving these kids an opportunity to have their name live on a public leaderboard, where a lot of times it might just be in the local newspaper, crumpled up and forgot about the next day. And a lot of these kids who play high school golf are, are good players, but some of them, the families may not have the means to play in your regional or national events. So giving them that recognition that they truly deserve. And on the same note, education was a huge, huge topic because there's never been that big of an emphasis on giving these high school golf coaches opportunities to learn more, whether it's from how to run a high school golf practice or maybe like fundraising ideas for their team. We created a national high school golf coaches conference that we had at the PGA show two years ago, had a virtual last year. And that's what's so unique Alan, about high school golf too, is these coaches, some are bus drivers, right? Some don't play golf, others do. So uh. giving the opportunity, if they want to just better their knowledge of the game, or maybe they have kids who are good enough to play Division Two or Division One golf. So making that opportunity to make it a one-stop shop, 
education, resources, and truly opportunities to just better themselves and their players. That was the main goal. All right, Chris, can you give us a little bit of context of how long the uh, National High School Golf Association has been around? Because I, I want to learn about that because as, as an entrepreneur and knowing that Chris Hart and also sounds like yourself, very entrepreneurial in your mindset, you need to solve or come up with a solution where there's a problem. And I know with Next Gen Golf, originally with City Tour and Next Gen Golf, of course, when students finish, golfers finish in high school, they got nowhere to go during their college years and afterwards they're kind of lost because they don't have access and that was the real pain point that next gen golf was relieving at the beginning so talk to me a bit about that when did the national high school golf association when was it formed and what did you see originally expanding on what you just said there the value that you're providing and the pain points with all the siloed state organizations that you're helping to kind of bring together here Absolutely. Yeah. For the high school side of things, uh, the National High School Golf Association. So we've been around for about four years now. When I came aboard, Chris Hart let me know that, hey, I have a new idea. It's all around high school golf. And especially given my background with high school and, and college golf, he said, I think you'd be perfect for it. And selfishly, to your point exactly, there was no way for us to market or to bring awareness to kids that were in high school about collegiate club golf, right, which was already existing. So that was kind of the initial thought is, hey, let's make an organization that we can bring awareness to these kids that are in high school that club golf is an option for them, especially if they don't play varsity in college. Here's a fun fact, too. There's over 224,000 high school golfers that play annually each year. Less than 7% of them will go on to play varsity golf at any level. So that was really the main motivation behind it. And once I came aboard, it turned into so much more. The way we looked at things mm. is saying, okay, there are 49 states that have high school golf in some capacity, Alaska being the only one that doesn't. But so many of these kids just went unrecognized, right? Their results wouldn't be showcased. College coaches or even whether it be club coaches or anybody in college couldn't find who these kids were. They might just be in a local newspaper one day and forgotten about the next. And education was such a big topic too. Being able to allow a high school golf coach, whether they were a beginner, maybe they just got the job from the AD a month ago, or maybe they're a seasoned state champion coach that's won 10, 15 state championships. Now they have the ability to go to highschoolgolf.org and find blogs, right? Find webinars. We've even hosted a few conferences in the past too, where they can lean on PGA professionals, LPGA professionals, golf industry leaders that historically they've never been able to really access before. And whether it's they want to better themselves or they want to better their teams or just give their kids a better opportunity of, hey, this is what's available to you once you graduate high school and go into that college space. The easiest way I can describe it is it started with an idea of, hey, let's be able to market to high school kids that club golf is an option for them. And today, fast forward almost four years, it's become a whole community. It's become an opportunity for 
kids to connect with each other, for state athletic associations to now talk to PGA sections, to state golf associations. And that was the problem we found too, Colin, is nobody talked with each other. There's so many people that do different things in in so many different states, and we've been able to build those relationships up over the past four years, and now folks can actually talk with each other. Hey, what worked well for you? Oh, you guys hosted a high school golf coaches conference in person last month. How'd it go? What worked well? What didn't? Or, okay, we're doing a rules seminar this year. So being able to connect the dots from the junior golf landscape, the college landscape, and everybody within high school golf, that's been such a value add for so many people, whether it's a coach, a player, or a parent within the community. Yeah. Sounding like you've got 49 states that play and most of them siloed or doing their own thing. So yes, that does a ton of redundancy there as far as what they're doing and the resources that they're all putting forth to do really the, the same type of thing. And it sounds like you're doing a great job now of connecting the dots, connecting each other so that the lessons learned and best practices on a national level or state by state can be shared to help them focus on growing the game. And that's kind of the next piece I wanted to talk about. So it sounds like the over 200,000 plus high school golfers there are in the U.S. You're not just talking about elite, high level, low handicap, competitive golfers, even though you're talking in that club category. Talk about that equity piece, that inclusion piece. How does... Next Gen Golf and through the National High School Golf Association reach out to make golf welcoming and inviting for everybody, we'll just put it out there, that doesn't come from the traditional golf background of that cliche of being straight and white and male. So give us some examples of what you do to help facilitate those conversations to make golf accessible for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. In terms of our DNA, especially within Next Gen Golf, it's all generally based around team-based golf, right? And that's kind of what makes us unique too, is whether it's high school or what we do at the club level or even with city tour. The way we always say it is all swings are welcome. And we, we truly, truly believe that. And especially within the high school space, and I can touch on some of the other business lines as well, what we really wanted to do over the past few years, and I, and I think we've done that pretty good job of it overall, is highlighting, sure, there's always going to be elite level players at high school golf, or I like to call them the blue chip players. They're going to play high school, they're going to do your big events, and they're going to go off and play division one golf, and they might play professionally one day. And that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. We want that. But at the same token, there are so many kids who might have just started soccer might be their main sport, right? Or baseball. And they're just doing it because their friends are, are playing as well. And that's what I think is, is so neat and so cool is we try not to discriminate. We really try to be all encompassing of, hey, you know what, we're going to get your name not only up on a leaderboard, but in terms of especially the webinars that we do, or even some of those opportunities, hey, maybe you do want to do varsity golf and that's for you. Maybe you want to do club, maybe you want to be a PGA professional one day. Maybe you want to work in the golf industry. You can follow your passion and, and find opportunities like that. And even with what we've been able to do these past three years with our national invitational tournament, which is our flagship event, it's our biggest tournament that we host. And these are state championship winning teams, players, individuals. But the way I also say it too is sure, we have kids that are, you know, shooting even par or a couple under. But Colin, I have had so many players and parents come up to me and they say, you know, my son or daughter's never played out of state before. They've never played in a multi-day tournament. If you would have told them a few years ago, hey, you're going to have an opportunity to play in a, in a national event and it's at Pinehurst, you know, they wouldn't have believed you. And that's what I think is, is so neat because 
for some of these kids, this is probably going to be the biggest event they ever play in. And that's cool, yeah. right? And that's yeah. that's awesome. And we want to celebrate that. So I think sometimes folks might get a little bit hung up on, oh, okay, we're only doing the best of the best. And for a majority, we want to celebrate those players and those teams and those coaches that put in the time, put in the work, and really put in the effort and, and celebrate their excellence, no doubt. But at the same time, we want to showcase that event is is as unique and dynamic as high school golf in this country is, right? Where you have one coach who, again, they may not even play golf. They might just be the bus driver. And then you have another coach who she's won 30 plus state championships and they're all coexisting together and having a great time at a single event, which is so fun. Nice. So I understand this correctly. Until four years ago, before the National High School Golf Association existed, you play in your state championship, perhaps even win or place in that. And that was it. That was like the end of the golf season. So you've then taken this to the next level, which is amazing. So extend the experience for the players and the families, the 560 competitors that were at Pinehurst. Tell us about that multi-day experience, what that was like for them. So maybe share a story from some of the families or even players. Absolutely. Yeah. I might share a few stories even from, because this was our third year for the event. And when I tell folks, hey, we've only been around for three years, they're like, wow, I thought this was something that existed forever. Right. Yeah. A couple come to mind. Even our first year in 2019 had the inaugural event. We were at Disney that year and we actually had the first ever all African-American boys golf team win a state golf championship in the state of Georgia. Never happened before. Drew Charter School. It was amazing just talking to the coaches, congratulate, sending the invitation, walking with them like, hey, this is an event for you guys. And they got the key to the city of Atlanta. They'd be part of the tour championship that's at, at Eastlake, meeting some of the players, Rory, et cetera. But being able to have them and celebrate what they made history in their state at the Invitational was, was so cool. It was so amazing. A couple other stories that come to mind, Lance Christensen, He's a young man from the state of South Dakota, and he's actually competed with us the last two years. And Lance, short story, grew up and, and still lives in, in one of the poorest regions of the entire country. And for him to even go to a golf course takes 30, 45 minutes. And not only his willingness and desire to be a better player and, and grow his game, but he gives back so much to the junior communities around his area, does clinics, does different events through the local PGA section out there. And I've talked with him so many times, he's like, who would have ever thought this kid who grew up in one of the poorest parts of the country would be on a national stage playing at Pinehurst and, and competing for a national title or a national event. So when you hear stories such as that, it makes it so worthwhile. And to your point that you mentioned earlier, we love the fact that, hey, there are players who are different races, different nationalities, different cultures, backgrounds, even like you mentioned, sexual orientation and, and gender identities too. And for me, being able to make that awareness for the event, it's like, hey, here's somebody that, you know what, it's not everything identify obviously as a gay male, but I'm much more than that. But also being able to be myself and have some of that awareness, because I know when I was in high school, I would have loved to see anybody, whether it's somebody running a tournament I was playing in or a PGA or LPGA tour player who was out and living their life and being who they truly are. So I'd like to say in, in some way, shape or form, we're able to let these kids and these teams know that be who you are. It's okay to be yourself and swing your swing and play your game. You don't have to fit in this one box that I think historically golf has really fit in, or at least given that notion for so many years. Love it. Love it. 
So let's talk about your own personal journey for a moment here. So I understand you played quite competitively. I don't know your full background in golf, so I don't know if you played in college, if you've actually then took it past that. So so tell us about your golf journey and where you are now personally with golf. Yeah, absolutely. For myself, you know, I played four years of high school golf. You know, I was um, runner-up for state my senior year, all state, all four years. Played quite a bit of competitive high-caliber golf you know, with my parents. And those are some of the best memories, traveling to different types of resorts and, and courses across the country. And then for my college days, I actually played four years collegiately varsity golf at Holy Cross College at Notre Dame. So for any of the listeners out there, yes, the uh, Rudy School. <laughs> so we uh, we, we played. Yeah, right. <laughs> so four years at Holy Cross there, and actually freshman year was really fun. We made it to um, the national championship for the NAI, the division level that we played in out in Oregon, which was the first time that any team from Holy Cross actually made it to a national championship. So that was really fun, and and honestly, Colin, for me, it's it's interesting because I I kind of use my story, especially with a lot of the families that I work with today, because not to toot my own horn, but it's like I was a pretty decent junior golfer growing up. My claim to fame was I beat Xander Shoffley twice. He probably got the better end of the deal, but you know, hey, that's that's all right. So I could I could hang my hat on that. And I really thought I wanted to play Division One golf, right? And I was set on that, like, oh, I got to play D1 golf. And Holy Cross was kind of an afterthought. But I said, you know what? I'm going to go here for a year or two years get my grades up, transfer over to Notre Dame. And long story short, I definitely could have, but fell in love with the school, fell in love with my team. It was a brotherhood of sorts. We were so close and I still am really good friends with a lot of my teammates to this day. And that's what I like to share with people is like, hey, you know what? Sometimes it may not be the sexiest option out there. It may not be the, okay, you know, the big shiny one, that D1 golf team or, or program, but find what works for you and ask yourself, what's important to me? Do you want to play or is, is it just being on the team? Do you want to travel? Do you want a small team? Do you want a, a big college campus experience? So going through that and, and even with my former role as head golf recruiting coach for an athletic recruiting agency before I came aboard here and going through that and work with so many families, it's helpful at least talking with the current generation of high school and college golfers and, and just sharing some advice that, that I went through that might help them. Mm-hmm. The nice piece that you did with Scratch Golf, so I, I watched that and that's really well done and I, I will include that in the show notes. I really encourage our listeners here to take a look at that. So that was really impactful for me. And from that, I gathered that you came out about three years or so ago. So I'm assuming that at Holy Cross, you had not come out at that time. Did you find incredible pressure for yourself or did you just kind of compartmentalize that and park it for a bit? Because I talked to Tad Fujikawa, as you know, we've had on the podcast and we talked about pressure he felt over time. So I'm just curious how your college experience was with your sexual identity and how that's informed you and kind of shaped the conversations you have and the support that you provide for younger people. Yeah, it's, it's a good question, for sure. And the way that I always frame it is going through high school and, and college golf I knew I was gay. It wasn't anything like <laughs> I woke up one day and was like, oh, hey, you know, here, here we are. <laughs> I knew it really since I was in middle school. But, yeah, yeah. you know, candidly for me, I always felt a certain expectation that I had to be a certain person, live a certain way, have the girlfriend, and just kind of fitting in that, that one box. I never really saw, especially within the golf world, any type of person that fit what I was feeling, if that makes sense in, mm -hmm, in a way. Mm -hmm. 
And candidly, even with some of not necessarily my teammates, but just other conversations I'd have on the course, and you hear it all the time, right? Just casual. It's not like it's homophobia, but it's also just ignorance. People hit a bad shot. Oh, that's so gay. Or obviously I'll keep some expletives out for the listeners, but you know, you can use your imagination and you, you hear it all the time, you know, especially when you go out in the course. And the way I always, I always frame it is, hey, I know a lot of times it's not malicious, but words have meaning. And for myself, if people gravitate toward things that they see themselves represented in, right? And I never saw myself truly represented within golf, especially going through high school and, and the college days. And after I graduated, I, I actually moved down to Tampa, Florida for about three years. And I had my first job down there. And that's when I decided to come out. Partly because I moved away from home. It was my first time being on my own, if you will. And I was able to experience such a community of people that I never knew existed because I only had the cliches on you know, television or, hey, if you're gay, you have to talk this way, you have to dress this way, you have to act this way. And, and that's just not the case, right? And I was able to really surround myself with some amazing people. I remember it was Christmas of 2015. Yeah, so it'll be six years this Christmas. And went home, I'm sure my parents will hear this, and I ruined Christmas. I did. And I'm an only child, you know, Roman Catholic family, very yeah. conservative. And it was one of those where it was tough for them to swallow. And I said, guys, right. mom and dad, hey, this is going to be a journey. This is not going to take a day. This is not going to take a week. This is not going to take a month. This is going to take time. But we have to keep this an open and honest you know, discussion. Fast forward six years, I can say that their love and, and just support for me has been better and more amazing than I could have ever imagined. And I've lost some friends along the way too, right? I mean, even the best friend that I moved down to Florida with, and basically after I came out, he just didn't want anything to do with me. And that's okay because you learn who your yeah. true friends are. And there's so many people, whether it was my college golf coach, my high school coach, so many people that I, I grew up playing with, they're like, Chris, we love you for who you are. Hey, whoever you love, it doesn't matter to us. We love you for you. And hearing that support and knowing that they had my back, it just meant everything. Yeah, it just meant it just meant absolutely everything. Well, that's that's so encouraging to hear because I know a lot of, a lot of stories do not go that way, especially with the added layer of coming from a traditional Catholic family too. And I've had friends that the conversations have not gone that well with parents, and and even just the isolation and the mental health issues. And thankfully, there's organizations out there like the Trevor Project who right. had Fujikawa put me onto. I know he does work with them also. Right. So just with the youth mental health, especially in the LGBTQ plus community, there to support. So. It really makes me encourage that stigmas are being removed. And I certainly believe this, that love and kindness and tolerance will win the day over ignorance and hatred. And hopefully conversations like we're having here is helping to put things in the right direction. I really hope that. Right. Absolutely. And and it, and it will. And you're right. And, and that's what it's all about. And the way I look at it is, hey, I'm kind of in a unique position right now in my life, working within the golf industry, the PGA, and especially high school kids and families that I feel I can make a little bit of a difference. And it's about doing it in the right way, right? I think a lot of times, sometimes people will get hung up and they're like, oh, well, Chris or Tad or whoever within golf, or they're just doing it for attention. It's like, that's <laughs> that couldn't be mm. further from the truth. It's about, yes. it's about awareness. It's about just being able to share your story. And that was one thing I did, my coming out story. 
I actually wrote it for Outsports, which is another fantastic sports LGBTQ news media organization. And that's what they do, whether it's amateur athletes or pro athletes, they share their story. And honestly, Colin, after I wrote that, I mean, I probably got 150 emails from people. I have no idea who they are. And they're just like, thank you so much. I thought I was the only one. I feel that golf has not necessarily been as welcoming, but to see that you're in the game and things like that. I've actually met some people even in, in Chicago, here where I live, that I'm able to introduce to the game and whether it's going to Top Golf or the local course down the road, just introduce them and let them know that, hey, this game's for you. Yeah. And my hope, just like the work I do in entrepreneurship, that we can drop the descriptor of a gay golfer, a black golfer, yeah. a Latino golfer, whatever that is. Same with an entrepreneur, a woman entrepreneur. It's like, you know what? You're just an entrepreneur. You know, that doesn't right. identify you at all. And I know right now when we've had conversations of some people asking us like, well, why do we need to have these groups for black golfers or, or black women to grow the game that they need to have their own thing? Because they have been stigmatized for so long and discouraged and not made feel welcome that you first need that before you can then amalgamate into the general population of how all of America looks. And that is the ultimate goal, that everybody's a golfer or everybody's right. an entrepreneur and everything else that's, yes, it matters is how we identify, but in that sense, it doesn't matter. And we're not quite there yet. So in some ways... I do believe that we need to stay within your tribe first and celebrate that tribe and raise them up and give them a voice and then over time. And hopefully that'll be sooner rather than later. But I, I truly believe, just even seen in the last couple of years, that we're going in the right direction. And a lot of good people out there, doubling back on, on your point of surrounding yourself with good people, there's lots of great people at the PGA of America from Sandy Cross and, and many others. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit about the overarching work that the PGA of America, of which Next Gen Golf is a part of and has been for a couple of years, of what they are doing in that diversity and inclusion space. Yeah. And as you mentioned, Colin, with Sandy, I had the fortunate favor of, of meeting her a few years ago when I came on board and she's just been fantastic. I mean, she's been a, not only an ally to me, but just the entire community and really all marginalized groups right within golf, which is so important. And even over the past few years with the PGA and something as small as celebrating Pride Month in June, up until, what, two years ago, that never happened. Yeah. And some of the small things we've done, too, where it's you know highlighting some of the folks that are part of the community, like a friend of mine, Greg Fitzgerald, out in California, is a PGA professional. And a couple of years back, he actually started the San Francisco Pride Pro-Am tournament out at TPC Harding Park. It's actually going to be hosted this October, right. yeah, third year. Events like that, where it's like you're bringing in PGA professionals and amateur golfers who are maybe part of the community, it could be allies, could be anybody, but having an event like that is, is so important. We've done different articles where highlighting folks' work within the game. We've done a few different webinars, even just articles that uh, are geared toward golf course owners or PGA professionals. You know, How can you make your golf course more welcoming to all people? The way I always say it too is, you know, Pride Month is great, don't get me wrong, but we need to focus on these things 12 months out of the year rather than, okay, just, yeah. just one month and then we, we take the rainbow sticker down and we go back to our yep. ways. That's all you get. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's one thing that Sandy and I have really talked about is, is how do we continue to make this a 365 days a year activation 
not just for one month. And I truly think that through some of the highlight pieces, and, and that's great, don't get me wrong, but I, I really think Greg is onto something, especially out in California with an event like that. And that's going to take time. But in my eyes, I think an end goal would be that all of the 39 PGA sections throughout the country and in some way, shape or form have some type of a LGBTQ plus allies. It doesn't have to be a formalized tournament or event. Maybe it's a night. Maybe it's a local course having a mixer at their club. Maybe it's a country club or a golf course in their marketing materials. They have a lesbian couple sitting by the pool with their child, right? Maybe it's a transgender youth out on the course taking a lesson with a PGA or LPGA professional. I think you can get caught up sometimes and like, okay, you know, we have all these plans, we have all these visions, but start small and kind of work on those things. And before you know it, it's going to take roots and it's going to take form. And, and that's the goal is one day we won't have to do all this activation. You just are who you are and you know what, you are represented, you are seen within the sport and there is no stigma. There is no, oh gosh, you know, they're part of this group. We have to do these, these special activation things. We're just all equal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I also love the entrepreneurial mindset that you've brought to the table, but also I know with Chris Hart and others at yeah. PG of America, they certainly have that. And you talk about, it's so exciting. I know as an entrepreneur myself, it's like you want to do everything. There's all these opportunities, yeah. right? Yeah. And you got to focus. You want to boil yeah. the ocean, but you know you have to yeah. pull back and take a deep breath. It's like, okay, yep. what are we going to try next? Kind of that lean startup approach of, okay, let's try this. What have we got the feedback from the community and we'll try this as an experiment to see where that goes, to see where that's successful. One of my good entrepreneurial friends that works in the prototyping design thinking world, and as she puts it first, you, you have to nail it, get it right, yep. and then you scale it. So it sounds like that's what right. you're doing. You're going to nail it, then you're going to scale it. Right. So talking about that, what are you looking uh, over the next 12 months that you could share with us now yeah. that you've got feedback, you're three or four years in the national championships and, and with the association? What do you see next? What other opportunities? What gaps? What what enhancements? Or what are you what are you going to try next? Where do you see some opportunities on that high school level that you're looking through next gen golf to bring to the table in 2022 and beyond? Yeah, absolutely, Colin. It's exciting to look back and think in the last three years, it's like, okay, you know, we took this from an idea to truly a pretty remarkable and sustainable business model in line and, and just the impact we're making. You don't forget the dollars and cents, but just the impact, you know, we're making with so many, so many families. And one thing that we're really excited, I want to give them a shout out too, is for our, some of our sponsors this year, Titleist and FootJoy came on board with mm -hmm. us in January. And I'll be honest, they have really made a huge commitment to high school golf and the association. And even at Pinehurst, they blew it out of the water. That was so cool. And I know you've done some work with Michael Breed in the past too. And you know we had Michael Breed yes. on about yes. a week before the actual event. And he did a special, not a podcast, but a, a webinar for all the players and welcoming them to Pinehurst. Pinehurst. And so nice. leaning on our friends and their commitment and Junior Golf Hub, who does a lot of work in the college recruiting space. But what we're really excited for is especially come January, due to COVID, we had to take our coaches conference from in-person that we did in January of 2020 to digital or online. So we're cautiously optimistic we'll be able to have that in person and you know continue to grow a lot of those educational opportunities. And whether it's you know in person or additional webinars throughout the year and giving, you know, whether it's a coach or an athletic director an opportunity to learn from some of these greats, whether it's a Michael Breed or some 
some of those other folks, you know, within the PGA teaching space. So I, I see that continuing to be a, a huge focus for us once we get to 2022 and more integration with the sections because there is so much opportunity, I think, for all sections to work more closely with the high school athletic associations because they're the ones who need help. A lot of these athletic associations mm. aren't golfers. Some are. I, I, I don't want to say everybody. I want to put a blanket statement. But whether that's you know maybe assisting for rules clinics or the state tournaments or just helping out, generally speaking, with, with some of the tournament ops and operations management, I, I think there's a, a big, big opportunity there. And then more so from like the invitational side and, and competition, we haven't announced the dates. We haven't announced the location for 2022 quite yet, but that'll be coming around the corner here before you know it. But one thing we want to continue to look at too is, you know, not just limiting ourselves to the U.S. One thing I forgot to mention, we actually had a team from Guam compete in our event the last two years. You know, All right. we have become, All right. yeah. So even from an international landscape, Talk about a big undertaking. I mean, it's it's hard enough understanding each state and, and all the intricacies from that standpoint. But I, I think there could be an opportunity for more of an international footprint and understanding and looking what high school golf or whatever that might look like in, in so many different countries. And who knows, you know, maybe there could be an international piece to the event one day. Time will tell. Interesting. Well, like I said, one step at a time. Uh, yeah. Don't want to boil the ocean. It may be a place to start. Since I'm up here in Vancouver, up here in Canada, I don't know if you're you're looking with high school golf in Canada as your next step, or you already are having those conversations with Golf Canada, but maybe that's something there because they're certainly looking to uh, to grow the game up at high school level too, looking at ways to do it. Absolutely, yeah, it's it's a great point, and and not to forget our friends there, and and actually we we have you know had some talks like you said with Golf Canada folks, and we've actually had a few uh, individual players even compete at the Invitational last few years. Unfortunately, as you know, the kind of the border restrictions, there were some red tape we had to kind of sort through there, but we're we're definitely hopeful for a, a better contingency as years go on because we definitely want to give an opportunity to our friends to the north. So that'd be awesome. Well, hopefully that border opens up soon when we're <laughs> recording this this podcast episode. Uh, it is still closed. Hopefully by the time we release it, it will be open again because I am desperate to get back down to see all of my great golf friends in the States and not able to do that. So I'm really looking forward to that uh, sooner rather than later. So, hey, Chris, as we wrap up here, why don't you share with our listeners how they can find out more about Next Gen Golf and they can learn more about the National High School Golf Association? Yeah, absolutely. So two places that for all the listeners out there. So Next Gen Golf, especially if, if anybody listening out there might be looking for information on collegiate club golf and city tour as well. So uh, I know we didn't spend much time on that, but city tour, especially for anybody out there, I'd say, hey, kind of that 25 to plus range that, you know, enjoys fun, competitive events. We have best ball scramble formats. You know, we're in various big cities across the country. We actually have our national championship for that coming up we're going to be at whistling straights three weeks nice. before the Ryder cup so that'll be pretty fun so just next yeah. gen golf nextgengolf.org and like i said that'll bring you to you know more of that information especially for collegiate club golf the nccga and city tour for anybody interested in that and then for the high school side it's a pretty easy website just highschoolgolf.org all one word highschoolgolf.org and that'll bring you right to the home page and um, yeah, like I said, feel free to poke around in there. If anybody would want more information specifically, they can shoot me an email, Chris, C-H-R-I-S at highschoolgolf.org. And always happy to chat, you know, whether it's a parent or maybe you're a coach out there and, and just want some extra help or advice, but we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to chat with you too. 
Good stuff. Good stuff. And as I always do in the show notes for this episode, I will include the links to all of the great things that Chris had just mentioned there. Also, we do set up a bio page for Chris. All of his contact information will be there also. So we make it nice and easy for you as our listeners. So you don't have to madly write all this down that you just go to the the show page and it will all be there for you. So Chris Noble, I've really enjoyed this conversation. The, the work you're doing, the entrepreneurial piece, uh, your personal story, along with the community building work and advocacy you're doing in golf for the LBGTQ plus community, it's it's really commendable and it, it's inspirational. And I know you will continue doing the work. And maybe at the PGA show, I look forward to, to meeting you one day in person. And maybe even if you can tolerate my 16 handicap, maybe we'll even get out and play a couple holes together. <laughs> Kyle, that'd be, that'd be fantastic. And, and again, I, I can't thank you enough for, for having me on here. I appreciate, I appreciate you, especially folks as yourself, just highlighting how this game is all, all inclusive and can be all welcoming. And again, we need folks like yourself out there, you know, doing the work and, and highlighting all the amazing, amazing uh, things that are happening in our sport and our games. So really appreciate it and really looking forward to, to meeting you and hitting the links together, hopefully sometime really soon. That sounds great, Chris. I enjoy that today. And speaking about other Chris's, I will also include the link to the previous episode if you want to learn more about Next Gen Golf and City Tour, because you only touched on that briefly at the end of our conversation there, Chris. I will include the link to that episode also for a couple of years ago, because everything that Chris Hart and I talked about, it certainly stands up today from there. So Chris Noble, again, it's a pleasure meeting you today. And thanks so much for joining me on the Mod Golf Podcast. Pleasure's all mine, Colin. Thanks so much. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.